0: Uh, Hi, this is Don Morera. Yes, you're listening to PF's tape recorder. Listen up, kids.
1: Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Dwight Slade.
0: I wonder, I always wonder why there aren't superheroes in other countries. Oh, yeah. It's solely an American phenomenon. They had Britain man which is just ridiculous, which is, imagine like, you can fly around and say at libraries, that's what I this man doing. But, uh, but I think it says something about a culture. and It may be that uh, our citizenship is so uh, inert that we have to create these superhero characters that we put ourselves and our, our American spirit into so we can believe they can do these amazing things and we have these menial jobs.
1: I interviewed Dwight about two years ago for Minneapolis City Pages, but uh, I couldn't arrange it so I could also record him for the podcast. But we fixed that today, boy. I had a great talk with Dwight. He, uh, he grew up with comedian Bill Hicks. They were buds and got into comedy together. We talk about that and uh, the election, all kinds of other fun stuff as well. We have a special edition of It's Facebook, not Factbook. And the song of the week will be coming up at the end of the show as well. It's time for another edition of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. So last week I was shooting my mouth off, you know, about how uh, when my liberal friends post memes on Facebook or news uh, reports from onto Facebook. Uh, they're pretty accurate. They're they're fact-based. They they bat much better than my conservative friends. And, uh, well... it. This happened this week. I'm sure you heard all about it. The the carrier uh, air conditioning folks there in Indianapolis, they were going to uh, send uh, 2,000 jobs down to Mexico and and pretty much shutter the plant in Indianapolis and just keep a couple of uh, executive jobs in Indy. And then the big announcement, of course, came. uh, Well, I'll let let Papa Bear tell you all about it.
0: Hi, I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks for watching us tonight. Big win for Donald Trump. That is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo, as we've stated. Mr. Trump won the election because of his economic vision. He promised to stop American corporations from sending blue-collar jobs
1: overseas. And then cut to a clip of Mr. Trump on the campaign trail.
0: Companies like Carrier are firing their workers and moving to Mexico. Ford is moving all of their small car production to Mexico. When I'm president, if a company wants to fire their workers and leave for Mexico or other countries, then we will charge them a 35% tax when they want to ship their products back into the United States. And they won't leave, believe me.
1: Are you like me? Do you ever watch a TV show or a movie and think, well, I, I know that, that actor or actress, I, I know that person. What the heck have they been in? And You rack your brain, you rack your brain. The guy talking about uh, punishing companies for moving jobs to Mexico and other places around the world sounds exactly and looks exactly like this guy.
0: It's ties, shirts, cufflinks, everything sold at Macy's, and they're doing great. Number one selling tie anywhere in the world. Number one selling tie anywhere in the world. You wouldn't wear that shirt? We also have them in white and beautiful white. Where are the shirts made?
1: Bangladesh.
0: Bangladesh. Well, it's good. We employ people in Bangladesh. Ties? Where are the ties made? These are beautiful
1: ties. They are great ties. The ties are made in where? China? China. Ties are made in China. That is one Donald Trump on the Late Show with David Letterman back about four years ago. Uh, David discussing where uh, Mr. Trump's uh, goods are manufactured. And I don't think he was uh, calling for himself to pay any kind of a tariff on those. He didn't mention anything about that in his interview with Dave. Uh, But back to Papa Bear.
0: Well, now the Carrier Corporation says it will stay in Indianapolis, saving a thousand jobs.
1: But still sending over a thousand jobs. Mexico. Okay, so the flip side of this thing is that uh, a, a guy I work for, uh, you may know that uh, Fangirl and I write for the Pop Culture Beast out there in Los Angeles. Garen Cockrell, the editor in chief there, he's also the uh, intern. I would say he's more of a I would say he's more of a producer uh, of uh, Never Not Funny. Uh, you know, where Matt is the executive producer. I think uh, you, you could say Elliot and uh, Garen are like more like producer roles because on a sitcom. Anyone that writes essentially becomes a producer, and contributes to the producer. So I think I really like that. Anyway, so anyway, Garen posted uh, this article from uh, a website that I wasn't familiar with, and it said that the uh, because of the tax incentives. Uh, given to carrier to keep those thousand jobs in Indianapolis, that the people of Indiana, the taxpayers of Indiana, are going to pay the salaries of those thousand people, you know, for the next ten years, their full salaries. And the the guy went through the numbers, and I got out my iPhone and opened up the calculator. And I'm I'm no math whiz. I I my major was broadcasting, they didn't even make me take a math class, which was dumb. And I figured it out, and it, and it turns out that uh, it comes out to about a seven hundred dollars uh, a year. Uh, per worker that the uh, people of Indiana are going to subsidize, which is way different than paying their whole salary. So, uh, you know, that's c- completely inaccurate. And look, you know, I guess companies do this all the time. They get tax incentives all the time. Uh, so I guess that's, you know, I guess this, in a way that's a very good deal. It's a very good deal that actually his vice president was working on it way before this. But, uh, th- th- you know, the fact that, uh, that somehow Mr. Trump is going to save all these jobs by putting, as O'Reilly said, putting the thumb on, keep put the thumb on carrier, uh, I, it, it's just it's just pure nonsense. And it came out later that uh, one of the reasons they think that uh, that people think that this deal went through so smoothly is the fact that uh, well, it really didn't go that smoothly. Again, thousand jobs still going to Mexico, folks, and good for the thousand people that are keeping their jobs in Indianapolis. But a thousand are still going to Mexico, so a thousand people will still be out of work in Indiana. But people think that the reason uh, this deal was even uh, you know, reached its natural conclusion is because uh, Trump is a huge stock owner in United Technologies, so which is the parent company of, of Carrier. So uh, a real you got to really deep, deeply dive into this one. This isn't just a matter of you know someone wants to take my guns away or you know the you know if, if taxes you know go up here, the prices go up. Here, something you can look at pretty quickly. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, but uh, as you're looking at this, always keep in mind. It's- Facebook, not Factbook. Dwight Slade is a stand up comedian originally from Houston, Texas. He broke into comedy along with his buddy Bill Hicks. Um, I did a little experimenting this week recording interviews. Uh, I recorded Dwight over Skype. It might sound a little tinny, I apologize for that, but you can still understand him. It's a great interview. Here now is our interview with Dwight Slade. Well, terrific. Well, um, not to go over ground we've gone over before, but for the benefit of the podcast listeners, um, you know, uh, folks may or may not know that uh, growing up, you were uh, a very close friend of the legendary Bill Hicks. Oh, we've been over this. Yes, yeah. we have. Yeah, yeah, But We've been over this. Yes, this, but city, um, city yes pages, you're right. Yes. Uh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I met Bill in Houston in uh, when we were in seventh grade, and like all seventh graders, he had an eye to a career. And, um, we had no idea that it would be hijinks. And so, uh, uh I don't even know. I knew what hijinks meant. But, but uh, yeah, we met when we were in middle school, and then Bill really wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be an actor. And he said, I think you'd be better as a comedian. So I said, okay, well, I'll act like a comedian. And, uh, so we started doing open mic And, um, and we, uh, the, the comedy team broke up, like a lot of famous comedy teams, when my dad got transferred. Oh yeah, to a job in Oregon, and uh, and then we were roommates in Burbank, California, and then the quote eighties comedy boom happened, and we hit the road and worked and, and collaborated together for the remainder of his life. So,
1: so um, that's best th- th- in the Okay, and this is the part of the story I I don't uh, remember discussing. When you were out in California, who was out there at the time with you guys? Because people seem to be interested in who was, you know, uh, what what class you were in, I guess, uh, of of comedians. Who who was performing out in California in those days?
0: Well, Bill had been doing um, stand-up in Houston from, like, 79 to 81 and uh, had developed a pretty solid act and uh, a pretty good character, Um, nothing like he's, he became, but he was, at least he was established to stand-up and had a strong uh, set. I I was living in Oregon, and it just wasn't stage time available. Yeah. I did, you know, contests and just miserable things at at nightclubs, you know, and and, um, so when we got down to L.A., Sort of the, the the really great comics down there that were really doing well were Jay Leno and, and Jerry Seinfeld. I think they both done the Tonight Show by then. And uh, but like um, you know, like Tom Wilson, the guy who did uh, was in Back to the Future.
1: Oh yeah.
0: like this. He was he was like uh, the same age and the same kind of level that we that we were and. And same with uh, Bob who's actually, he was yeah. twenty-one years old, and oh, wow. started to uh, appear at the comedy store, and, and um, so, uh, and uh, I remember, Etienne Hall was was one of the kind of featured guys that you can come see, and uh, so uh, it was it was just an exciting environment to be part of.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh,
0: I mean, for the one thing, is like you're going down to watch sets of your peers and see what everybody's doing. But at the same time, Richard Pryor is dropping in, brush up his, um, you know, a, a, a new album, you know, a new movie. He was doing Sunset Strip and working on materials for it. So the word would go around that he was going to do a set, and comics would jam the comedy store, And he would go up as... Very exciting. And Sam Kendison was
1: out there and and uh, anyway. Oh that's right, yeah, that, that would have uh, been about that time too. So but when you got to California, did you still have you know any uh, inklings of being an actor? Because uh, you know because a lot of people nowadays go there. The reason they go to LA as opposed to New York to do stand ups is because they want to do other things apart from stand up, whereas in New York basically people just want to do stand up. Did you have even back then have an inkling, oh now that I'm in LA, maybe I can pursue this acting thing?
0: Yeah, I, I, I tried, you know, kind of virtually everything. I was trying to do sets at, uh, at the comedy store, and also the Laugh Factory had just opened. I mean, literally had just opened. And uh, I tried to do sets there, but I met a guy who uh, was part of, he was a working actor. He said that one of the ways to get in and become a working actor is to become a screen extra first. Become an extra in the Screen Actors Guild, and so I, I got pictures and I submitted a special casting, and so yeah, I was working to try to get into that too. I was going to college at the time. I was taking film class. You know, I was, I was giving it my all.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did some extra work um, when I lived in Pittsburgh. They filmed a couple of movies uh, there, oh, and cool. uh, yeah, that's that's uh, it's interesting work, and it's funny too because now when you I don't know, if it, it, even just doing that, it makes you watch movies and TV shows differently, because especially we were watching Friday Night Lights, which may be of interest to you because you're being from Texas. And um, whenever they f- film uh, the the football scenes, I always wondered how they put those together because it looks so smooth. And yet, you know it's very choreographed because they have to film you know the reaction to the characters in the stands and what's happening on the field. And uh, did that give you kind of a different uh, appreciation for for movies and and TV?
0: Yeah, it, it, you know, being down there in general uh, changes your your view of Hollywood. Uh, it becomes. It becomes an industry, you know, sort of all the magic kind of goes away a little bit. But uh, and I remember my friend was an extra on a show that was filming on the back lot at Universal Studios, and he goes, yeah, come by and pick me up. I'll put your name at the gate. And so I walked into Universal Studios, and I walked in that back, Area that has all the streets from New York, and and they have one that's a Casbah, from you know, from Baghdad. And they they had—I was just wandering around, and someone stopped me and said, "What are you doing?" I go, "I'm I'm picking up my friend." He goes, "Oh yeah, just keep on walking." It was just—it was a thrill for for someone, you know, that loved movies and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I remember visiting Universal before it was actually before it was like a themed attraction. They had the tour. And they had a couple themed things on it. They had Earthquake, and they also had the Battlestar Galactica attraction, even though the series had been canceled uh, probably four years before. Best thing I saw, the tram is driving back toward uh, the, the pickup area, and walking along, way far away is uh, a colonial warrior and a Cylon with his helmet off, with the, walking <laughs> off to lunch. And I had took a picture of it, and I have it somewhere. You can bear, you can you can make out what it is. To me, I just found that so hilarious that we just gone through that whole thing, and here's the Cylon and the uh, colonial warrior walking off to lunch. Um, but yeah, it's um, so. So, what are you up to these days? Uh, I think it's been two years since we spoke, so. I'm sure you've been up to a lot.
0: Could be, yeah. And I've, <laughs> I've uh, been working and traveling quite a bit. Uh, I, got, I got married two years ago, and uh, and you know, you know, to be honest, I, and I'm, I'm doing a lot more writing than I ever have. Uh, and, and you know, to be honest, I, I almost kind of feel like I'm in a semi-retired state because I'm very picky about the shows I do. Okay. And I, and I started to do these, you know, these uh, cruise ships a little bit that provide easy, they're, they're easy money, and I think they're good gigs.
1: Yeah, a lot of people they're doing really those enjoying. now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, it's an odd spot to be in your life where you feel kind of satisfied, and that doesn't really make you money. <laughs> so I'm, I'm old. <laughs> it's like when you, when you start to get your needs met, like, you kind of lose your sense of humor a little bit, I'm worried a about that, but uh, that's not a very good appetite for the
1: show. <laughs> well, so when you say you're doing more writing, is it, you mean just focusing on the stand-up writing, or are you writing uh, humorous essays, or what what, are, what kind of writing is you working on?
0: Yeah, I'm doing, uh, I'm just trying to motivate myself to, to write more, you know, to get up and, and whether it be essays or stand-up or a screenplay or, or a, a novel or whatever, just to, just to put something on the page, I, I have no, you know, I, I know it's a lot like stand-up, but as a writer, you, you might have a little bit of talent, but you got to push yourself and
1: get all the crap out
0: and, and wait until you find the real, if you have any good stuff in you.
1: Well, let me ask you this, uh, because I've been kind of struggling with this lately myself. I keep thinking, you know, I've been at this writing thing for, gosh, uh, 30 years-ish, um, and I always think, you think, well, I should, I should probably write a book of something, about something. I don't know what, though. And the, the, the big challenge I have with that, and maybe you t- being from the world of stand-up comedy, is do you find it harder to write in, 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 to write bigger pieces when you're used to writing in small chunks?
0: Right. Well, the, yeah, the economy of words is different in stand-up than it is in any other form. because it, It's minuscule. You have to find uh, the, the easiest way to the punchline if possible and string that along. And that's how stand-up works. That's how stand-up, you know, gets a rock and roll to it, as opposed to David Sedaris, who reads a very funny essay, but the laughs are a minute and a half or sometimes longer in between. Yeah. And, um, so it, it, it is a, a discipline to allow yourself to, 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 the, to the, whatever you're writing, to be a little bit more open and, and reform and, and a little bit
1: longer. Yeah. It's odd because, uh, I'm, I'm friendly with a guy out in California. Um, he's a good friend of Jimmy Pardo's Pat Francis, who used to do stand up but he, uh, decided to not do stand-up and uh, just kind of, uh, I, I guess, uh, become a production assistant, and kind of just live the life out there in California. Anyway, his wife is a, a college professor teaches screenwriting, and she wrote a book, and the, the the secret sauce there is just write when you can, even if you're writing a big book. Just write five minutes here, ten minutes here, just piece by piece, and, uh, and you'll get it strung together. And in fact, that's how she wrote her book, telling people how to do that, which I thought was fascinating.
0: Yeah, that is brilliant.
1: Yeah. Um, so, d- what kind of things? I, of, co- I of course, will completely ignore that
0: advice. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll download yet another stupid bubble game for my phone.
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I always just feel like I'm, when I'm doing other things, although I'm, I'm so busy now, either writing for my day job, which is where I'm talking to you from now, actually. Uh, to, or, you know, writing, doing these interviews, things like that. It's just, even when I get a break, and I'm thinking, like, I probably should be writing something. Or if I'm reading something, I'm like, I probably shouldn't be reading something. I probably should be writing something instead. So that's always that challenge.
0: Reading. Reading is stupid.
1: <laughs> I've, I've started so many books. I've got about five or six books started, and I just never get around. If I think the last book I finished, I reread uh, The Great Gatsby, because my daughter read it for uh, English class in high school two years ago she loved it so i'll reread this because it was it's a pretty quick read i got through that at least but um i got you you're name dropping i know right but i've got mike love's biography started a friend of mine wrote a detective novel years ago that i got halfway through and I, i think i lost it when i was uh straightening up the basement so yeah i i've got to get just set them up and read them and try to squeeze it in with the writing and stuff and and uh forget binge watching tv shows man that's out the window
0: yeah, I've been reading some of the episodes of
1: uh, the Flintstones in a comic book series. It's <laughs> I used to buy those when I was a kid. Well, they weren't—I don't think they were episodic tellings. They were like more original things. But uh, I just thought about those the other day. That's so weird. Oh, my! Because my daughter is into um, my youngest is into Spider-Man and Batman, and uh, not necessarily the comic books, but she wants to get some of the comic books because you know that's where they—that the, all that comes from. And I said, yeah, I was never a big comic book person, except I bought I bought some Flintstones comics when I was a kid and stuff like that. But the superhero thing never took.
0: That's hilarious. I wonder. You know, I always wonder why there aren't uh, superheroes in other countries. It, it, oh yeah. It's an American phenomenon.
1: I've never but, noticed uh,
0: that. I mean, they they had Britain Man, which is just ridiculous. I guess <laughs> in the UK, which is, I imagine, you can fly around and say at libraries, that's what I picture British doing. <laughs> but, uh, but I think it says something about a, a culture. It may, may be that we're, like, we're so, uh, our citizenship is so uh, inert that we have to create these superhero characters that we put ourselves and our, our American spirit into so we can believe they can do these amazing things I and mean, we have these menial jobs in this pointless life. Wow. Anyway,
1: that well, is... They, I've never. You
0: can tell the election did not very do very well
1: with me either. Yeah, yeah, Lord no, but that's interesting. Japan kind of does with anime, and I know the the, mm. the French, of course, with uh, you know the, they have the, the most famous comic there's of course, the Adventures of Tintin. But that's more that's not really a superhero thing, and it's it's kind of more of a, a detective type series. But yeah, I never noticed that. That uh, you're right, this uh, superhero is very yeah. very much an American phenomenon. Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder how our superhero movies do over there, like spider-man and Superman I, I reckon not well because whenever I listen to the BBC no. radio and they review movies I rarely hear them talk about the big superhero movies they talk about like the Harry Potter things did really well of course because they were made in both countries and but yeah they never really talk about superheroes Wow, that's really weird huh
0: well I think um, I think it was in Batman versus Superman I' kind of like I'm a geek here with this but uh, I believe in the titles that there was a a Japanese uh, producer and also a China Chinese producer uh, supported that movie and, and put money into it. So I, I think that they're doing really really well overseas. And in fact, that Hollywood is getting money for them.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Remember when I was a kid? You're I think probably a little bit younger than me, or maybe we're around the same age. I'm not sure. Let me think. Let me do the math here. No, you're probably a little older than me slightly.
0: Yeah, I'm in the early 20s. That's
1: okay. There you yeah. go. <laughs> well, when I was out of you remember when you were a kid because remember you told me the last time we spoke that the another thing you and Bill bonded over was over his black and white TV and watching comedy on that. But to that yeah. end, this is pre-cable of course. They syndicated that we had Ultraman and uh, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. Ring any bells? Oh
0: yeah. Ultraman. How spooky was that?
1: Yeah, and they're supposed to make a new one of those, I heard. And I haven't heard anything oh. about it. Like, yeah, that was kind of spooky when you look at it. <laughs> this big guy in a silver suit. Um, Google that, kids, as my friend Jackie Cation would say. <laughs> Google it. you got a lot of laughs. <laughs> um, so what kind of things are you talking about on stage these days? Is it, like you said, you're kind of in semi-retirement. Are you looking at the world differently? What with being married and kind of you know, being at that point in your life where you can kind of you know, uh, relax a bit and kind of enjoy things? Or is it still kind of the same observations, just different things happening to you? Well,
0: it's been kind of a, um, you know, the the scene and the comedy scene in Portland is really healthy, as I think it is also in Minneapolis. But uh, I went down for a celebration at one of these. Oh, an open mic that had been going for 20 years. It was closing. And uh, and the comics, that it says, were just brilliant. There's young guys, and they, they rarely work the road because they not really economically feasible to work the road. And I was really energized by that, so I've tried to do more open mics, and, uh, and the, I, I did jokes on the election, I did a tour up in Canada, and so all of my election jokes went over very well up there. Yeah, yeah. I had to find the right audience back in the States. And going to be very diversified, it's just... You know, you, you, you can literally go find your own audiences that that cater to you, and and kind of have a your your own career, you know, your own your own life around that kind of you know, whether it be um, you know Latino or or hip hop audiences, or you know, or whatever. It's
1: exciting. So, how do you think the election will uh, affect comedy? Because I know the, the thing with Barack Obama, with people said, it was, "Well, he wasn't—he doesn't really do very funny things." Well, I'm not sure that was a hundred percent true. It was difficult because he just wasn't—you know, like well, like the last guy was—you know, comedy gold, and the guy coming up—it's like you can't make this stuff up, as they say. Is that going to be kind of a challenge? You think?
0: Well, it's too easy
1: of a target. That's the problem. Ah, there, yeah, yeah.
0: He's the political equivalent of a pull-my-finger joke. You know, it's like, you know, maybe once it's kind of funny, but then after it's like, (laughs) stop it. You're you're, you're, irritating me. It's stupid. And uh, and I also think that it's going to push people into becoming more retrospective. It's the first election where I really heard people describe their feelings. People were like, I was devastated. And... (laughs) And it was sort of like on election night, watching the Oswald, geez, when Oswald got shot by Jack Ruby, that, <laughs> that cringing photo of him getting shot in the gut, but extending that over a period of four hours, it was sort of like, oh, no, he's going to win. Yeah. And uh, so I think that, I don't know where that's going to lead, but I think a lot of people are, were personally affected by it, and I don't think that happened at politics for a while to
1: this degree yeah it's it's rough because you know as an old white guy i probably shouldn't be worried but um i'm just afraid things are gonna get really really crappy oh, and you can't oh, say anything it's I like i
0: think you should be very worried oh uh, well I'm, i think they're coming to get
1: us <laughs> well i've completely given up on ever retiring so i'll work until i die that's settled. <laughs> And uh, I'll probably uh,
0: remind me again. You're in Minneapolis. I'm in uh, Cincinnati. Actually, you're
1: going to do I'm in Cincinnati actually, um, which is, in a way, is kind of the the, uh, polar opposite, if you will, of uh, Cincinnati. Uh, Not not quite as progressive as our friends up in Minnesota. Uh, We we do exist down here, but um, to give you an idea where I live, they gerrymandered where I live, so um, it's the little eastern nook of a suburb of Cincinnati I live in, and then it shoots all the way out east into Appalachia, and that's our congressman's district. That uh,
0: Yeah. Mm, that seems
1: fair. Mr. Brad, Mr. Brad Wenstrup, yes. So he easily captured, uh, you know, uh, all, all of the billies out there were easily swayed into thinking that they were the problem. And yeah, you know what? People making $15 an hour, that's that's heresy. <laughs> Why should people at the work be able to make a living at it?
0: Oh, stop it with your communist babble. <laughs> you need
1: a job selling air conditioners. That's what you need. There, there you go. Yeah, I think that's going to be the subject of the dumb bit this week as well. But, um, yeah, it's just crazy. But, yeah, like, I've, I'm worried, a lot more worried for everybody else, at least me back and slide by, you know. someone I was reading somewhere, and it was, it, certainly other people have made this observation. It's like, you just give in and be a Republican, man. Your life is so easy. You don't, don't have to care about minorities. Don't have to care about women. Don't have to care about any of this stuff. It's easy, well, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to worry about facts and details. Yeah, no numbers. Yeah, get your ah, get your worried. get your news from memes. Sorted. <laughs> That's all you need. Well, all right, man. Uh, got a lot of good stuff here for uh, the for the City Pages piece, and we need to get you here to Cincinnati. When's the last time you were in Cincinnati? I, I think it's. Been a while, if you know, ever. i've
0: i I've, I've gotten close a couple times to get the booking. We just have never sealed the deal. So, I, uh, and it just has such a great reputation. So Everyone always raves about it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, then okay, yeah.
1: then I know. Each other. I can uh, I, I can uh, put 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 uh, a bug in the ear of the uh, of the booker. I periodically do because occasionally I talk to guys that will go to Minneapolis but haven't made it down to Cincinnati or haven't been here in a while, and uh, I'll just yeah. say i don't say, oh, by the way so-and-so would like to play the club, just passing it along, and then I'll give him the email. So I'll, I'll pass along your email to him, and uh, oh, we can go from there. Yeah, yeah, because that would be uh, great to see you down here. I think you do very well here. Yeah, I, I agree. Terrific. Well, well, great, man. Have a good yeah. weekend. And uh, this will uh, be in print uh, in City Pages, in print and online, the week you're up there, and the podcast will drop either... Uh, this Sunday or next Sunday, depending on how organized I am in getting the shows put together. I've got to go out of town for this day job for a week, so I'm trying to get two episodes packaged at once. Well,
0: thank you so much, man. It's always great. I, yeah, I hope, this
1: is another you know two years before I with you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, okay, man. Well, uh, good talking to you, and uh, and continue your okay. success. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Thanks again to Dwight Slade for being on the show and sharing those memories of his buddy Bill Hicks and having that great talk about the election and all that other fun stuff. You can find Dwight Slade. He'll be at the Acme Comedy Club there in Minneapolis Tuesday, December 3rd through, let's see, Saturday, December 17th. For all other things Dwight Slade, go to DwightSlade.com. you have to check back there periodically. He doesn't have any dates scheduled, I think, beyond the Acme gig, but um, who knows? you may be lucky and you might be able to catch him somewhere as well. So we move on to the song of the week song of the week is from Little Mix. And Little Mix, another one of these groups that um, I guess does really well in their native Britain, does not do very well in the United States. I think largely, it's really weird. I think they were either an X Factor or uh, whatever Britain's Idol show, is. I think it was X Factor, they were X Factor winners. And uh, like Ali Merz, they those acts do very well there. And uh, I guess it's kind of like here too, I guess our American Idol and X Factor winners do okay here on the charts, that don't do very well over there. But uh, Little Mix again, a little more traction in this country. Uh, Their new song though sounds an awful lot. There should actually have been a crime scene investigation. Fangirl and I should have been on the case. Uh, This song actually sounds uh, a lot like uh, GRL's Ugly Heart. So maybe we will do a a, a crime song investigation on that soon. But in the meantime still a cracking tune. Uh, This is Shout Out to My Ex. It actually went to number one in the UK. I'm not sure if it's even charted in the United States but this is our song of the week. It's from Little Mix. Shout out to my ex. PF's tape recorder so long in Thanks for listening.
0: This is a shout out to my ex. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. i love some other chick. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that hurt me, I'll admit. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Forget that, but I'm overweight. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I hope she getting better sex. <laughs> hope she ain't picking it like I did. Uh, mm-hmm. Too long is the quits. Forget that. I'm over with Guess I should say thank you For the hate juice and the tattoos
1: Oh, baby, I'm cool By the way, it's your right All your pins. Then. Black-